Good morning. My name is Miriam, um, but most of you I've heard have heard it translated as Mary, so that's what we'll go with for today. When I was a very young woman, uh, God interrupted my life. I knew what to expect in life, and none of it included somebody showing up at my house and saying, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, at that point, I've already got questions. You know, the normal things, like, do you have the right house? Um, Things like, you do realize that I live in a backwater town in an occupied country, and nobody's really feeling God's favor right now. Um, Things like, I'm sorry, what does that even mean? Um, So he sees the look on my face and says, don't be afraid, and then proceeds to make it about a thousand times scarier. So now I'm thinking, well, what does that mean, son of the Most High? Uh, Should I be worried? What's this about him inheriting the throne of the King David? And also, by the way, why are you naming a kid that I haven't even conceived yet? I mean, you didn't even do that with Abraham, and he was the father of our people. Um, And amidst all of those things, what actually comes out of my mouth is, so you know I'm not actually married, right? And somehow he still makes it scarier. Uh, There were children foretold in our history, uh, Abraham's son Isaac, Manoah's son Samson, but those were still natural children, if you know what I mean. Um, And here I am being told that it's going to be a complete and utter miracle, and I'm going to bear it. And I kind of had every reason to say no. Um, Where I'm from, there are two marriage contracts. The first one is what you would call engagement. We call it the Kiddushim contract. Uh, The second is the actual marriage, the Nisuim contract. Um, And even though when you're under the Kiddushim contract, you don't live together yet, you're still legally bound, and it takes divorce papers to dissolve that, Um, which means that if you're pregnant and it's not his, that's adultery. And the law says that that is a stoning offense, so that's a bit of a problem. Even if that's not enforced, and it isn't always, Um, it's going to bring terrible shame on everybody I love. It's going to bring shame on my family. It's going to bring shame on Joseph. And it's going to forever change what people think of me. Um, Where I'm from, a a woman doesn't really have a lot of worth. I'm not going to have a stellar career. I'm not going to be remembered for some great deed. Where I'm from, a woman's integrity and good name is all she has. Add to that, it's not exactly safe to raise somebody to be king in an occupied country. It's just not. And this may seem like a little thing in comparison to all of those other things, but it also means that I am forever losing my right to a normal life. I mean, it wasn't a great life, but it was mine. And now with God interrupting, that normalcy and that control are going to be forever lost to me. I mean, just the little things that you expect out of life, like that your kid is going to also be your husband's kid. I don't get to have that. But the most terrifying part of this is that God is going to come that close. I don't really understand what the angel's words mean at this point, but I know that something very holy is going to happen, and you don't really know how scary that is until it's about to happen to you, and there's no veil between you and God. Now, before you can say, well, it was God's plan, so it was going to happen anyway, I think I could have said no. Um, When Queen Hadassah... 
sorry, you call her Esther, don't you? Uh, when Queen Esther had the chance to speak up and save our people from genocide, her uncle Mordecai told her, you know, perhaps God has put you in this position for such a time as this. But when she was afraid, he told her, if you don't do this, if, you, if help doesn't come from you, it's going to come from somewhere else. It's just not going to come to you. So God has plenty of ways to get his plan done if we say no. It may not be a good idea to say no, but we've always got the choice. So I've got this angel of God standing in front of me. And the thing is, even more than the sense of terror is the sense of good. And I find out I'd kind of rather stand with God's dangerous good than walk away from the source and definition of all goodness and expect that to somehow turn out better. And I mean, I figure if he commands it, he's probably going to take care of it, right? So I said the only sensible thing that I could, which was yes. And then I immediately packed up and went to my cousin Elizabeth's house because the angel had said that she was pregnant. And if she wasn't, I would know for sure that I was crazy. And she was, and she prophesied about my son, and her faith helped me believe all the unbelievable things the angel had said, and I stayed with her until her baby came, and there was this beautiful feeling of awe and excitement for what God was doing. And then I went home. You know, usually right after you say yes to God is when Satan bombards you with all the reasons you should have said no. So I go home, and there's no angel. And there's no Elizabeth. And on top of being tired and my back hurting and everything smelling weird and making me gag, even though I'm really hungry, there are rumors. And my mother won't even look at me. And everything makes me cry, which really doesn't help. And on the trip from my mind to my mouth, all those things that the angels said about me and about this pregnancy just start to sound really silly and self-aggrandizing. And when everyone's calling you a liar or crazy and telling you how awful you are and you're that tired, it's really hard to stay optimistic about God's plan. You know, even Joseph, the man that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with, doesn't believe me. It takes an angelic visit of his own to convince him. But the angel doesn't come back to me. And suddenly I'm wishing that I had asked a lot more questions. Like... How am I supposed to raise the son of the Most High when I don't even know what to tell my own family? How am I supposed to raise the son of the Most High, period? I mean, I guess every mother is kind of afraid that she's going to mess up her kids, but really, the Messiah? Also, what happens if you do mess up the Messiah? <laughs> what if I turn out to be a terrible mother? And, and maybe this is just me thinking crazy things because I'm pregnant, but what if he doesn't like me? You know, when I was a kid, there was this sort of glow when I thought of God. You know, we were God's chosen people, which to me, I guess, sort of also meant that we were better than the Romans occupying our nation. You know, I liked God because God liked us. And then I got older, and I started to realize um, in my country, as a woman, I am exempt from learning the Torah not just exempt, but there are some who think that it's actually wrong, that it's a disgrace to the scriptures for a woman to study them. I start to realize that we women are the ones who are always veiled because the rabbis say that we're the tempters. That as a wife and a mother, that I'll be the one who lights the Shabbat candles every weekend 
because the rabbis say that it was women who brought darkness into the world. And maybe you know what that's like. When you start to believe people, when they tell you that you're bad because of what you are, that no matter what you do, because you're the wrong color or the wrong gender or have the wrong feelings, that you're always going to be inherently wrong. You know, that, that childhood glow had sort of faded into the belief that God loved our country in general, but he was never going to like me. You know, it seemed like it would be better for God's honor if I just sort of stayed out of his way. And now I literally can't. You know, it's, they say it's a disgrace for me to even study the word of God, and now I've got the word of God literally inside me, wiggling and kicking me and keeping me up at night. And all of that aside, I know I'm not perfect. I don't trust God perfectly or love my neighbor perfectly. I could pray more. Why me? I'm, I'm barely even a wife yet. I don't know how to be a mom. I'm not a prophetess like Deborah or Huldah who led our country. I'm not a queen like Esther. I'm not a warrior like Yael who won a victory for Israel with a tent peg. I mean, I've never really been good with tents anyway. I'm not, I'm not even the wife of a priest like my cousin Elizabeth is. We're a blue-collar family. I'm marrying a carpenter. I mean, a good carpenter, but a carpenter. I've got literally nothing to offer. I didn't have every reason to say no. I was every reason to say no. And suddenly I'm furious about it. I'm furious that I have nowhere to hide, that I'm just forced to face this presence that's just going to show up how broken I am. I'm never going to be worthy to raise the Son of God, so why are you even asking me to do this? Now, don't get me wrong. I was still willing to say yes. This was all mixed with the excitement and honor and awareness that God was doing something. But a lot of times that kind of made me more afraid, like God's eventually going to figure out how unfit I am. So it was sort of a, a willingness that kept its head down. You know, I'll, I'll do the job, but kind of guiltily. You know, I love him and I want to serve him and I kind of feel bad that all I have to offer is me. You know, I'd, a lot of times it was kind of hard to pray even just because why would he want to help me? So just when I couldn't get any more stressed or discouraged, we have to go to Bethlehem because politics. And you know what's really fun when you're nine months pregnant is having to travel from the northern province through Samaria to the southern province. We got there and I said to Joseph, we are never leaving. My mother doesn't want me back home anyway and I am never ever getting a do on a donkey again in my life so you better start looking for a house now. We found a barn. Because <laughs> apparently we weren't inadequate enough. And then he's there, and even though he's so tiny, he can still cling to my finger for dear life. And he snuggles into you like you're the only thing in the world that makes the world worth it. And somehow in there, I realized that, yeah, I was every reason to say no but he didn't. So I couldn't say no to him, even if it meant that what he was asking of me was more vulnerable than I had ever planned on. You know, I, I had expected to be the Lord's servant. Um, somehow in all those nine months, I still never really expected to be his mom. I had accepted a task. You know, you're going to bear the Messiah, but it turned out this was a task where I could not 
keep God at arm's length because my entire job as a mom was to love and be loved. And you know, there's no better teacher for that than a baby because <laughs> there's nothing like the unconditional love of a baby. You know how they, they look at you like you're the cleverest person in the world because they slapped the floor and you slapped the floor back. So my own son trained me day in and day out to allow the Holy One to love me. And it turned out that all of the things that made me unfit for God were exactly the things that he needed me to be. I was a woman. He needed a mom. I was poor. The world needed a Messiah who knew how poverty felt. I was young and a virgin and from the middle of nowhere, and those were all fulfillments of prophecies that had been made centuries before I was born. And you know, the reasons to say no never really stop coming. Uh, we ended up as refugees not long after that. So much for never getting on a donkey again. When we finally returned, we actually ended up back in Nazareth because Bethlehem was too dangerous. And rumors don't die in small towns. And I just never really fit in there again. Saying yes to God doesn't mean that life gets easy and everything works out happily. Saying yes to God eventually meant that I saw my son killed in front of my own eyes. Even after he was raised from the dead, it meant that I saw my other sons persecuted for preaching about him. Saying yes maybe gets easier with practice, but it's always a choice. But I realized somewhere in there that without God, I would still be suffering anyway, just without the purpose. I would have still gone through the pain of childbirth just with other kids. I would still be in danger from an occupying power that tortures people just to make a point. Life would still be hard. It just wouldn't mean anything. But even, even with all that, I actually did say no at least once. When my son was grown up and preaching, my other sons were convinced that he was crazy, and they somehow convinced me to go with them and try and bring him home. Because you know what's easier than believing that you're vital to God's plan and that he wants to love you so fiercely that he'd come as flesh and blood? Believing that that's an arrogant, presumptuous thought and that your delusions of grandeur just got passed down to your son. Eventually, I came around, first of all, because there were so many people who knew that he was more sane than anyone they'd ever met, that they were blocking the door trying to hear him and we couldn't get to him. But second, because his love is relentless. You know, I watched a lifetime of my sons refusing to say no to the people everyone thought God should say no to. Tax collectors, prostitutes, even the Pharisees who opposed him. And me. The mother who should have known better, and still, after angels and more angels and a lifetime of knowing him, doubted. You will find yourself in that place. Whatever your task in life is, God is calling you to love and be loved in it as exactly who you are. But you're going to find that there are times when you doubt it. Times when it's the hardest thing in the world to respond to his love. Times when it seems better to keep your head down and keep him at arm's length. But you'll also find that even when you have said no to him, he doesn't say no to us. Turns out, here are the things you learn in retrospect, right? It turned out that that was exactly why he came. That was why I got caught up in his story, why our lives happened the way they did, even why I had to see him die. Because he so fiercely wants to be close to you 
that he laid plans centuries before I was even born so that the real reasons to say no, the dark parts of our hearts that run from his presence and reject God, wouldn't mean that we had to be rejected by God. Satan will tell you that you are every reason to say no, that you're the wrong age, that you're the wrong race, that you're the wrong person, that you have the wrong heart, or that you're not fit for God's service, or that it's not worth the pain and the uncertainty and the loss of control. But when God interrupts your life, I hope you say yes. Because he has already said yes to you.